fact, that's my favorite line in that song, Jesus Christ, our King enthroned. You know, your nativity scene has a little baby, and that's cool, because we're celebrating the birth of our King, but he didn't stop there. That was only the beginning. And what matters the most is everything that came after, everything he came to do, every promise that was ever fulfilled, and the fact that, that he is sitting enthroned as the king in heaven today, still moving and active in our lives. Can we give one more shout for Jesus, everybody? Amen. You would go ahead and take your seats. Man, what'd y'all think of a Drummer Boy? How was that? Y'all enjoy Drummer Boy? That's pretty cool. That's a, that was just a little trick to teach you not to be late. I'm just kidding. How many of you have a drummer boy in your nativity scene? Okay, see, there you go. None of y'all's nativity scenes are anointed, so y'all need to work on that one. Just totally kidding about that. Hey, uh, it, would you do me a favor? Help me welcome all of our first-time guests, both here in the room and those of you online. So glad to have you guys worshiping with us. So I'd like to take a little moment and brag if you'd allow me. Uh, this week we had our all-staff Christmas party, and we, we played a trivia a game, and some of it had religious questions and Christmas questions, and maybe just to boost your confidence in your pastors, uh, three of your pastors, Kent and Eric and I, we were on the winning team. We won trivia this week, and uh, the reason I'm telling you that is because after we won, they said, there's no prizes, you just get bragging rights, and I'm thinking, I just beat y'all, and y'all don't care, so who am I going to brag to? So everybody, I'm here to brag. These are my bragging rights. There you go. If you're a guest, I'm not really that egotistical. That was me attempting to transition to, uh, I wanna play Christmas trivia with you. And you also only get bragging rights. And I'm about to ask you a question. By the way, uh, we're now on service number five. And so far, I've had four people get the answer right, uh, one of which was a two-year-old girl that was just excited to raise her hand. I'm not sure she actually had the answer. So anyway, here we go. Can you name the most famous priest in the Christmas story? Just imagine Jeopardy music in your head right now. Raise your hand if you got Zechariah. Don't have any Zechariah people. You don't count. You've been in every service so far. All right. And here's the reason I think that is significant is because we relate to him maybe better than many other people in the story. If some of you say, well, I relate to Mary. You did not give birth to the Savior. No, 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 no. Look, as you're going to see in a minute, we have so much in common with Zechariah, and yet he's incredibly overlooked. Like most of us didn't even know his name. And you know what we're gonna discover in a minute is how much he was waiting and, and struggling and, and just wondering if, if something would ever come to be. And sometimes we wait and we have a lot of frustration. Other times we wait and we have a whole lot of anticipation. Like, you know, Christmas, right? Do we have anybody, kids, anybody in here excited like what you're gonna get when you wake up tomorrow morning? Yeah, you're waiting with anticipation? That was, yeah, you raised your hands. That was like worthy of a, yeah, it, whatever, anyway. So, you know, like maybe your first child, when our first child was born, man, I was so excited, so filled with anticipation, just waiting, can't wait for the nine months to be up. You know, just for the record, if you have four or more, and uh, you, you don't even care anymore. It's like, <laughs> they're gonna come, they'll come out at some point, it's all fine. It's just another car seat, another trip to the hospital, no big deal. But anyway, your first one, you're like really excited about. And, and so mine was a son, and so firstborn son, you know, like, well, you know, just can't wait. And nine months came and our child was late, like really late, like a week late. And the truth is, I don't think he would have come out after a week. He was real comfortable up in there. And uh, we had to force him out. We had to take a little bit of, of help to get this to happen because the, the doctor kept telling my wife, well, you just need to move. You need to exercise. You need to like go and do something. Are there any ladies in the room that y'all understand like nine months pregnant exercise and moving is not 
Like my wife had a relationship with our couch at that point. <laughs> she just, she's really happy. So I had to trick her because this child is already a week late and uh, we just got to move on with life. So I said, well, that's all right. You don't have to do much. Hey, how about we go over, it was a Sunday afternoon. How about we go over to the school? I was a band director at the time. I had keys. I could get in after hours. I said, I'm just going to shoot some basketball. All you got to do is just rebound a little bit for me. I'm horrible at basketball. That was a lot of rebounding. I knew what I was doing. And our child was born that day, just so you know. There you go, right? So, hey, if uh, anybody, uh, you're ever like a couple of weeks late with your child, I do still hire out my bad basketball shooting skills if you'd like some rebounding. But the truth is, most of us, that's not the kind of waiting that we have to worry about. Because even if your child's a week late, he or she's coming out. I mean, it's, it's, it's coming, you know? But the kind of waiting that Zechariah was doing that I think we could talk about today and would be helpful is realizing he had to wait and wait and wait so long that he had given up hope that waiting was even worth it. And he wasn't just waiting for something to happen. He was beginning to wonder if waiting would matter because he was waiting for God to do something. He no longer was even sure God would ever do it. And so I think he's going to help us a little bit today with where we are in life. And so if you've got your Bibles, you can follow along Luke chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 5. Don't worry, it's going to be on the screen right here for you. It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And if you'll allow me, I'm going to do a little commentary as we go through the passage because I think there are just a couple of thoughts that would help us as we're reading Scripture. And, you know, the first thing we need to see here is they were right with God in following his commands. God says, look, I count them as, as righteous. They're blameless. There's nothing I've asked them to do that they don't do the way that it's asked of them to do. And yet, they were barren. And they had prayed and asked God to, to change that. And yet they didn't get their prayers answered as they had hoped. And so what I think is important for us to grasp right here is to be reminded that not every difficulty in your life means that God has abandoned you. Not every difficulty or challenge that you go through is a sign of God's disfavor upon your life as though you have sinned or earned anything negative. Sometimes God is moving and working and he has timing and he has things that are pieces of a puzzle coming together and, and they're just not yet to be. Sometimes we can't just see them. Spoiler alert, they are going to have a child. If you didn't know that, that was coming. They are going to have a child. But this child was going to be so special that this child had to be born at a special moment, which for them happened to be decades later than they had hoped. And sometimes we're in that same place of just saying, God, why? And you may not always get the why, but I can promise you God is still moving and God is good. Y'all with me? So now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And as I was doing research for this this week, I got intrigued by the idea, what is the custom of the priesthood? I wanted to know a little more about that. So I went and, and discovered that priests were required to work one week, twice a year, plus holidays. And then I looked at my calendar for 22. And I'm just saying, I think I need to be a little more biblical in how I go about things. 
So I've decided I'm gonna preach a two-week series and I'll show up at Christmas and Easter. You guys, I'm just kidding. I'm not really gonna do that. I love my job. Actually, let's be serious for a minute. Here's what I would like you to see. Is you, you catch the words there, it said chosen by lot. But that means essentially they, they rolled dice or, or some sort of fashion and, and it turned out to be Zechariah's turn. And once again, something we can learn so many times in our lives, we look and, and we think something is random. Something is just the way things are working out. Something is just by chance. And I'm not sure what you believe, but I'm gonna tell you what I believe about God. I believe God is always sovereignly in control. God is moving. There is nothing that is chance. Matter of fact, what we're about to see in a moment is this opportunity that Zechariah has. It was a once in a lifetime opportunity. If a priest was chosen to go in and burn incense, they were off the list. It was, it was once in a lifetime. You got to do this one time. And so if by chance he had been chosen 20 years earlier, then the moment that God is about to do in his life couldn't be done. He couldn't be chosen again. And so there is a reason to God's divine timing, even in his life, as well as in ours. And so it says, the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. <laughs> I'd be there too. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Now, some people may wonder how this is considered part of the Christmas story. So let me connect some dots for you. This John is John the Baptist and his mother, Elizabeth, is related to Mary, the mother of Jesus. We often say something like they're cousins. The truth is we're not exactly sure. Might've been a second cousin, third cousin, could even have been an aunt, but they were definitely related. And so what that means is that John is related to Jesus. John the Baptist, again, we kind of know a little bit about his story maybe. He's gonna be the one that prepares the way for Jesus to come. He's the one that when the, the two women meet that John the Baptist is going to jump in the womb even though Jesus is still in the womb, but he knows he's in the presence of his Lord. So that's how these stories are related. Matter of fact, in short order, after this angel speaks to Zechariah, it'll only be a matter of time before this same angel goes and speaks to Mary and also announces another birth. Elizabeth and Mary will be pregnant together, giving birth to these two children. And the angel goes on. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. <clears throat> and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And I'm thinking, wow, what an incredible announcement and good news from an angel and what a great destiny for your child. I mean, wouldn't that be impressive? And then Zechariah had to go open his mouth and said to the angel, how shall I know this? <laughs> For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And I just wanna point out that even 2,000 years ago, you dared not call a woman old. <laughs> well, I'm old and my wife is uh, just, she's advanced. <laughs> this has absolutely got to go down as one of the top three questions in all of human history as dumb. Dumbest question, how shall I know this? I don't know, Zechariah, how about the fact that you're talking to an angel? Like he told you everything. You, you saw him, you felt fear. He told you not to be afraid. 
He told you things, you talk back to him. We're not even doubting this encounter. Like the encounter is real. You're talking to an angel. How about he told you everything you needed to know about the child's destiny? He told you the child's names. He told you the child's dietary restrictions. Let's talk about detail. And you would look at an angel and go, how shall I know this? Are you kidding me? Yeah, dumb question, right? So the angel answered him with a slightly different tone this time. And in case you're wondering, two important Greek words were left out of the angel's response. The first two words correct in scripture would be, excuse me, I'm just kidding y'all. Your Bible is totally accurate. Here's what he actually said. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And can we just pause for a second? Because we hate those words. We hate waiting. We hate waiting and seeing if God's ever gonna answer a prayer. We hate waiting to, to find out if it's ever gonna happen in the first place. We hate waiting. And Zechariah has been waiting for decades. An angel finally shows up and says, hey, your prayer is answered eventually. Y'all ever feel like that sometimes? You're praying, you're talking to God. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you finally tell me I'm gonna have a son and he's still got to go home, see his wife. She's gotta conceive, gotta be pregnant, gotta give birth. Waiting. That's what is so hard for us. And the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them and they realized he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. Y'all, I just, I'm, I'm weird. I find humor when I read the Bible, but I'm thinking the man was injured in the line of duty. He came out of that temple. He could not speak and they wouldn't even give him the rest of the day off. Somebody need to call OSHA back then. But after these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, they kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. It's not specific. The Bible doesn't tell us which months. She hid herself for five months. I happen to think that it was the last five months of her pregnancy. And I'll tell you why I think that, if you're wondering. For us today, if someone is unable to have a child and they would like to and they're praying for a child, we offer sympathy, support, encouragement, prayers. Someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm really sad. I'd hope this had happened by now. Well, let's pray with you. But a few thousand years ago in Hebrew culture, you didn't get sympathy it was a disgrace. There was the assumption that if, as a woman and a man, you couldn't have a child, that something was wrong somewhere. Somehow God had left you, abandoned you, something was wrong in your family line somewhere along the way, but God's favor was clearly not with you. And why would anybody want friendship or business partners with someone that God didn't even want to be with? So, if you can just imagine for decades, we don't know their age. We know he considered himself old and they were beyond childbearing years, which means if we were to like best hope, maybe 50, truth is probably 60, could be 70. And if you can imagine what Elizabeth was thinking at this point, like God, 
I've walked the streets and people have kind of whispered because I've been the disgrace. Something is wrong with me. I've had friends, but not really close friends. Just, and finally, you're going to answer this prayer, but you're going to take away my disgrace and I'm going to go from disgrace to total freak. I mean, seriously, can you imagine being a 70-year-old woman walking down the street eight months pregnant? And that's why I think she hit herself. And I've watched some of us do it. I can't tell you the number of times as a pastor, somebody has come to me and said, hey, we're pregnant. Great, when's it due? Oh, in three months. What? Did you tell your parents? Yeah, yesterday. Because sometimes we, we pray for something and we're asking God to do something. When he finally does it, we're almost so afraid to believe in the goodness of God. We're like, ah, I just kind of keep this to myself. We still do this today. I think Elizabeth was waiting to the day she could walk down the streets with this child in hand going, yep, God loves me. You shun me, I'm gonna shun you. I'm just kidding, she wouldn't do that. She's a sweet lady, I'm sure. What I think will help us today with Zechariah's story is to answer a question. How many of you would like to believe your best days are behind you? Anybody? So that's why you have to pay attention in church. Sometimes you just raise your hand because the pastor did and you don't know what the question was. I believe Zechariah believed his best days were behind him. They had prayed for a child so long that they had stopped praying, I think, because it was impossible for God to answer that prayer. They were old. They couldn't have children anymore. He couldn't do anything to help his wife. She was unfulfilled in life. I mean, the only thing they wanted was a child. Their world was different from ours. They didn't have a lot of secondary dreams of beach houses and Disney vacations and winning the lottery. I mean, for them, it was real simple. Like honor God, they're the people of God. Honor God, have a child. All they wanted was a little Zechariah so little Zechariah could have more little Zechariahs than Elizabeth. That, that, that was it. That was life fulfillment. And Elizabeth couldn't be fulfilled and Zechariah couldn't do anything to help. I mean, he's even a priest and he gets to go to the temple. And you can imagine Elizabeth going, hey, honey, as you go off to service this week, as you get close to the presence of God, if you would, you know, kind of remind them, hey, hey, so even get some of your priest buddies to kind of lay hands on you or something. I mean, is it? And, and Zechariah couldn't even get fulfillment for his wife. I mean, could you just imagine where they were? So they're thinking, it's too late. Sure, I'm going to come home for my week of service at the temple. Elizabeth and I, we're going to take us a little stroll by the Sea of Galilee, get us a little bungalow, have a little vacation, have some good lamb chop for dinner, watch the sunset. We'll have good days. But our dream? No, it's too late. Those days are behind us. Oh, and I used to really look forward to that one chance I got to burn incense and... Well, that's behind me too. Best day of my career was last week. And my dream can never be. I think Zechariah truly knew what it felt like to live the phrase over the hill. Like, your best days behind you. I need you to know, I don't believe our best days are behind us. And I'm not just saying that like I'm a positive person. Hey, everybody, our best days are in front of us. No. What I mean is theologically... I believe when I look at scripture and I see who our God is, I believe our best days are meant to be in front of us. 
I could prove it to you if you want to extend the service since you're the last one. You can extend this and stick around to New Year's if you'd like. We'll go through scripture, but since y'all probably don't want to do that, let me just give you kind of a little highlight. If the next day we get up and we take a step closer to doing what God has for us, and we take another step closer to being more like Jesus, and we take another step closer to honing in and living upon the path that God has destined for us, then how can these days not be better than those days? As we get closer to God and we do more of what he wants for us and we experience more of his presence in our lives, these days have to be better than those days. Look, I, I can't speak. It'd be a whole nother message if you decide to take a completely different path because God's best days for you are on the path he has planned for you. But if we're on that path and we're pursuing God, our best days are in front of us. That's why the Bible says that the path of the righteous shines brighter and brighter. Just like full day, the sun coming up and it gets brighter and brighter. That's God's plan for us, his goodness for us. Look, can I just give you a silly illustration? I want you to imagine God coming to you and like, hey, Steve, man, you remember that thing you were praying for all those years ago, like 10 years ago? You remember that? And, and you were just begging me to do this thing. And finally, I showed up and, and I did it even better than that. It kind of blew your mind. And you were like, oh, God, you're amazing. You remember that? And you're like, yeah, God, I remember that. And God says, good, because that's all I got, man. It ain't getting no better than that. That's, that's all there is up here. Can you all imagine? But it's what we believe. Most of us, we, we are so easily led into a place, either the lies of the enemy or the hard experiences of life where we just say, well, I just don't know anymore. And what I think God wants to do, the reason that I, I felt led to talk about Zechariah, I mean, what in a, a, a strange, very not so known part of the Christmas story. It's because I think some of us need some hope. Things that we used to believe God would do. Let me ask you this. What do you believe God will do in your life. Maybe I need to ask this. What have you given up hope believing God will do in your life? See, I don't think our best days are behind us if we're following after him. I mean, Zechariah, look, can I also encourage you in this if you're thinking, well, Jimmy, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time. I'm not sure my faith is there. Guess what? Neither was Zechariah's. His faith was so far gone, an angel talked to him and he's like, yep, can't believe you either. <laughs> If you're in a place of struggling, here's the good news. Our God is good because our God is good, not because you're perfect. I think we need to be reminded of that sometimes. The reason that I thought this would be such a poignant message for us is because the truth is our world has simply been changed. And some of us are struggling to, to understand our new reality. Last year, I stood up here and said, man, it's been a hard year. And everybody, oh yeah, amen. And I kind of thought that maybe that'd be the end of it. A year ago, we were all talking about, can't you wait for things to get back to normal? I think most of you have figured out the truth. There is no going back to what used to be normal. And these last two years have been very, very difficult. Look, you're all up on current events, so I'm not gonna name any particular thing that we've been through. But worldwide, our lives have been changed, reshaped, and there is not a single person who was not affected in some way by this. And some people have looked at this and said, where is God anyway? 
And because we're, we're struggling to see how God can be good in the midst of all of this, some of us, we, we've experienced this as a human race. Some of us have experienced some things very individually that's caused us to think, I, I'm just gonna smile, go to church and wait for heaven. You know, I used to really, but I, I, don't, I don't think so anymore. I, I used to pray for and I think we've got a lot of lost hope, but I'm gonna tell you something. Prior to these past two years, my experience as a pastor, I would have one, maybe two stories a year where I was very concerned for someone. Where I might go to another pastor like Kent and say, hey, we need to pray for so-and-so because listen, I think they're losing their way. They've just been through a couple of things, things didn't work out the way they had hoped. They, they were believing for some things that never came to pass. And I'm not even sure they believe God could ever do it. I, I'm really concerned. But those stories used to be so few and far apart that I could put one person's name at the top of my prayer list for six months. But these last two years, I can't keep up with the number of people. They seem to have kind of lost their hope, tired of waiting. Not sure they believe that God ever will answer that prayer. If you're tired of waiting, you're in good company. Zechariah and Elizabeth were tired of waiting for a child, so much so they didn't believe God would ever even answer the prayer. If you're tired of waiting, the people of God 2,000 years ago were tired of waiting for Jesus. They'd been told for centuries a Messiah is coming, the one who will be the Savior, Jesus. And many of them had gotten to a point of realizing it won't happen in my lifetime because their grandparents told their parents and their parents told them and they told their children, they told their grandchildren and, and people began to believe it was just out there somewhere. It's kind of like us. We believe Jesus is coming back, right? But we're all like, yeah, that'll be in my grandkids' lifetime. Many of us, that's kind of how we think. And so the people of God had kind of given up on waiting for this Messiah and many had kind of lost their way. Well, if it's so far out there, we'll just kind of do our own thing. And that's where a lot of the stories of the Bible came from. People of God that are tired of waiting for God to be a good God, to show up and do something. But I want to show you something It's really cool. I want to close with a scripture that's not a part of the Christmas story. It's actually from somewhere else in the New Testament. It's from the book of Ephesians. But it ties into what you and I are experiencing in our world today and, and, and who I believe our God is and something that I think we need to have rebirthed in us. The Apostle Paul wrote, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to the power at work within us, meaning his spirit working inside of us, what he is already doing in our lives. But I want us to hold on to that other phrase. Immeasurably more than you can imagine. I spent a whole year of my life, it's in the top of my journal, with that to him who is able to do immeasurably more. And I realized, well, if he's able, what do I need to change? What's going on in me? Because if he's, I need to figure out what, there's something missing here. And so this has been this year and I'm a little excited because of the ending of it. Here's the thing, immeasurably more than we can imagine. What about you? 
What can you imagine God would do through you and in you that maybe you've lost hope on? Because this is cool. Follow this. Zechariah and Elizabeth just wanted a kid. Can you imagine them as a, a new young couple wake up? Hey, God, would you give us a child? A couple of months later, hey, God, we'd still love to have a child. Months turn into years. God, seriously, could we, could we have a kid? Years increase to more years. And I imagine at some point, God, a kid. It's all we ask. Just a kid. Could you give us just a kid? Seriously? And I think God's up in heaven smiling going, just a kid. That's what you think I'm capable of? Oh, let me tell you. Oh, you're going to have a kid, all right. Ain't going to be just no kid. You're going to have a prophet of the Most High God. And he is going to be the one who prepares the way for the Savior. He's going to be kin to the Savior. He's going to baptize the Savior. He's going to turn the hearts of my people back to me. He's going to make you famous. People are going to know his name for thousands of years and yours too. And you wanted just a kid. Look at who I am and what I can do. That's your God. And he still moves today. And I think what some of us need to hear is to be reminded, God has not given up on moving in your life, through your life, fulfilling the vision that he's given you. Your God is not done. Hear this. Your idea of too late is not God's. Don't get that. You can say, but God, it can't be. No, no, your idea of too late is not God's. And so my hope and prayer for us this Christmas, as you sit around and maybe have Christmas Eve dinner here in a little bit, or maybe you have Christmas dinner tomorrow, or maybe as you're just opening presents with your family, whatever it is you're doing, I, I pray that you have a spiritual encounter with God. My prayer for you is that he will reignite something in you that the world has tried to snuff out. I pray that he will Give life, anticipation, excitement to what dreams and calling and vision and purpose that was in your life that you stopped believing God ever can or will do. Because 2,000 years ago, Jesus was more than a baby. He was the fulfillment of every promise that God ever gave. And Jesus is our king, still moving, still active, the Bible tells us interceding on your behalf right now. He's moving. He's still changing lives and he's still answering prayers. And I think some of us just need some hope, some new hope, because we've, we've been through a little bit of a hard season. Amen? Well, I wanna close by making the most of Christmas. Christmas is about our God who came to earth, Emmanuel, God with us born as a baby, lived as a man, a perfect man, so that when he died, his blood could pay for your sins because he had none of his own. And that he would be raised from the dead so that you too can know that you can be raised to eternal life. But you know, it's just like a Christmas present. Has anybody ever been really excited to give somebody a Christmas present? And you go to them, you got this big smile, and they look at you and go, oh, thanks. You see, here's the thing. Just like that Christmas present, 
we stand here like this, we miss out on something. You see, the truth is Jesus came to give you the greatest free gift ever. It's called salvation. And you have to reach out and take it. And if you've never made this exchange, if for you it happens to be right now, Christmas Eve, 2021, I wanna help you make the exchange of the life you've been living for the one he has for you. Wherever you are, those of you online, those of you in the room, would you all just pray with me? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I choose to live for you. I believe you came to the earth, lived as a man, a perfect life, voluntarily died for me, were raised from the dead, and you are the son of God. I thank you that you love me and that I'm forgiven. In my prayer here today, would you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom? Amen. Would everybody help me celebrate with those people?